0: Law, like you've never heard it before The Laws of Life With Gary Hertzberg on cliffcentral.com
1: I'm Gary Hertzberg and this is The Laws of Life on cliffcentral.com Alongside
2: me today, Lionel Mark Welcome to you, lines. Dumele <laughs> Gary and Dumele to our podcasters and our guests today And as always, we bring you the swaggest show, legal show in the world <laughs> Today's show, lines, is about music-related copyright.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That's yeah. a very interesting one, really given the, the nature of headlines that we've been seeing in South Africa. Of so many artists being taken to court, so many artists crying, "I didn't understand what the contract was saying. Ah, uh, it's my intellectual property. Ah, uh, it's my this." But hey, Gary, this is the show that brings the most interesting show uh, topics, and we break it down to the bone.
1: Yeah, like the show affects musical, literary, uh, sound recordings, and audiovisual. And also, we're going to explore whether streaming sites like YouTube. Are paying creators, authors, and owners of income their fair share of royalties, or whether they've been ripped
2: off? yeah lines especially for you oh no thank you so very much i feel so honored i want to thank my parents i want to thank my <laughs> recording company and my manager thank you so very much yeah yes one day lines
1: do you know that 1.3 billion daily users most of whom consume music on a daily basis are um actually um maybe taken advantage of uh by um placing it on YouTube and uh, that's why uh, we're a bit concerned about it. Our guests today know all about what's going on in the music industry and joining us today are experts and this is real experts. Yeah. Firstly, Nick uh, Matsukas, advocate of the high court. He's an author, he's a lecturer, he's a music industry expert. He's the man that knows it all. Welcome to you, Nick Afternoon, Gary. Afternoon to all your listeners. Hello, everybody. Yeah. With you today, Nick, is uh, Warwick Percy, Head of Licensing at Mechanical Rights Organization, Capasso, C-A-P-A-S-S-O. Welcome to you, Warwick.
3: Perfect. Thank you so much. Hello, everybody. <laughs>
1: and then um, we have Bronwyn Hershevitz. She's an LLB, and instead of practicing law, she has become a publicist in the entertainment industry under the banner B-sharp bshopentertainment.co.za.
4: Hi. Welcome to you, yeah. Thank you. I think I'm um, one of the smart ones for leaving the industry. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're the smartest of the lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The uh, South
1: African Copyright Amendment Bill will also form a bit of uh, our discussion today. Very fascinating. Uh, both gents know the… Um, The the new uh, bill, and they're going to discuss it with us. Our partner today is Legal Talk South Africa. With their Facebook membership lines, they are on 191,000 people.
2: That's so great. Amazing. Yeah,
1: this show gets pinned on their Facebook page for all of those wonderful people, 191,000 to listen to.
2: Yeah, and if you've got any topic that you'd like us to talk about, you can do so by dropping us a mail either on our Facebook, Twitter, or... Or go to the legal uh, page, uh, I mean, legal talk page, and you can actually write something there. Then we'll basically make it a point that we find a specialist who can break it down to the bond for you so that you understand it.
1: Our Facebook page, The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg, lines our Twitter handle.
2: At at L A W. That's where you can actually just like our page and you can also just send us a like or a message of some sort.
1: So Bronwyn is the catalyst for today's show. She's the one that raised many issues. Issues with me, and I said, "Well, hold on a second. Let's get the real experts into the studio. Uh, her clients mainly are musicians and entertainers. They need advice as to ownership of copyright. So, Bronwyn, ladies first. Go ahead and Thank tell you. us. Yeah, ask your questions on behalf of your
4: clients. Okay, let me start. Well, basically, uh, yeah, I deal with a lot of musicians and actors, and uh, most post a lot of music and acting pieces on YouTube, I had one particular client who posted a cover of a song that was related to another client of mine and I, I asked her to remove it and she couldn't understand the legalities of it. Uh, one, we didn't have copyright uh, permission to post that song, she didn't. And uh, it really got me thinking to how very little people know not only about copyright, but also about this new space online. Mm. And especially YouTube because there are all these up-and-coming new artists who want to showcase their talents and they think the easiest way to do it is to post something on YouTube. That's how people like Justin Bieber started off. And in fact, those people can land in a lot of trouble because they don't have permission to use that material and uh, things like Facebook as well, where we share a lot of music. Um, I myself also, I mean, I'm a culprit where I want to share a favorite song of mine with friends, you know, go down that nostalgic road. And uh, in fact, uh, are you allowed to do that? Are you allowed to share this public property with other users? So there's 20 questions in one. Let's yes. take a line. Yes. So let's, <laughs> yeah. should we, should we, we, we okay, yeah.
1: let's take should we, sharing on Facebook. Is that your first one, or should we...
4: No, you know? I, should we start with the YouTube, because, no. I mean, that's that's the main issue. There's so many people who do, they have YouTube channels, yeah. they share YouTube clips. Uh, what are the implications of uh, performing a cover song on YouTube? Mm-hmm.
0: So, I'm going to hand over to Warwick in a second, because he's the YouTube expert. Yeah. Um, because he deals with them on a licensing basis at Capasso, but... I, I think perhaps it might be opposite, Gary, with your permission, if we just start off with a basic understanding of this word copyright, Mm -hmm. which we've used several times already, and many of your listeners probably, possibly, don't know what it means. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So if you own a house, you have an asset, it's yours, it belongs to you, and just because it's a physical, tangible asset that you can touch doesn't mean It's any different to an intangible asset Mm. or intellectual property Property. Mm -hmm. such as a copyright. Mm. When you create a song, when you create a piece of music, that is intellectual property. It's an asset just like your house is. And you have the right, therefore, in terms of any normal copyright regime, any normal copyright law like we have, to decide who can do what with that asset because it belongs to you. It's yours. Now, it gets a little bit… More complex and technical than that, because when a song is written, um, there are in fact two copyrights that attach to that song. The first one being the copy- copyright and the musical work, which is the melody, the time signature, the chord structure, the chord progression, etc., all of which combined go into the musical work. Then when somebody puts words to it, that's the literary work or the lyrics. That's a separate copyright and can be owned by a different person if you've got a musician and a lyricist who are writing together. Give us
1: some examples of that.
0: So let's say Elton John and Bernie Taupin, for Mm. example. Elton John writes the music. Bernie Taupin writes the lyrics. Mm. Now, interestingly, by American law, those two are combined into one single copyright. This is not the case in South Africa. In South Africa, we have the musical work and the literary work, which are two separate copyrights owned by these two guys. But they are by a by a sort of a default practice rather than law given equal value. So unless there's a contract to the contrary, which says something different, they kind of each own 50% mm-hmm. of the copyright in the composition, which for the sake of ease and just convenience, we, we, we refer to in the industry, the composition. But it's actually two copyrights. But then a third copyright comes into existence when this thing, this composition is recorded and that is called the copyright in the sound recording and that can be owned by somebody completely different and very often is, certainly in in the case of large commercial works. So it's very important to understand that we're actually dealing with at least two two copyrights here for the sake of simplicity one in the composition the creation of this original new work out of the sky that you created and the second being the recording of it which can be owned by somebody else usually a record label Mm. in order to upload a youtube uh clip of that song you need the permissions of all those three people quite honestly because they all own rights The copyright and the musical work, the literary work, and the sound recording. So let's presume for a second that the same guy wrote the lyrics and the music. Let's call him the composer. Let's call it the copyright and the composition. You need two permissions, the composer and or his representative who's called a publisher. And then you need the permission of whoever owns that recording, who is the record label, if indeed the artist is signed to a record label. How do they split the royalties is it
1: 50-50 between the sound recording and the compos-
0: composer? No, not necessarily. Um, I mean, there are collecting societies that do calculations, go and do bl- blanket licensing deals, and Warwick will tell you much more about that. Mm. Um, they go and do licensing deals, and it doesn't come down to a per-play or or per-copy uh, fee necessarily unless it's certain categories of music. Mm. Um so we don't say necessarily that the sound recording is worth the same value as the composition. Although, funnily enough, the amounts that are charged by the various collecting societies representing, on the one hand, the composers, in this case being Samra and Capasso, and on the other hand, the labels, in that case being Sampra, actually have come down to an understanding that they think the composition and the recording are of the same value, which is about 3% of income. of whichever platform or user is being charged uh, and whether that income is advertising or subscription. But in the case of streaming sites, a whole different model has been created, which Warwick will tell you about, which is a kind of a 15% of income model because they're a whole different animal. Mm -hmm. Um, So essentially, basically what I wanted to to bring across was that you need the permission of all rights holders. If one of those permissions is missing – for you to upload or reproduce or in some way publicly perform uh, a piece, uh, a composition or a sound recording, you're in breach of copyright. Mm -hmm. So there's the foundation. Excuse me.
1: One moment. We'll come to you, Warwick. If I get permission, what do I have to pay? How does it work?
0: can be free. Mm. Perhaps the composer wants the exposure and thinks, oh, YouTube, great. Because we all love YouTube, right? Yeah. I love YouTube. I'm not going (laughs) to deny it for a second. And I certainly don't want YouTube to go away. Not at all. I just want them to pay for the copyrights that their How platform is How do I get
1: permission, using. Nick, to do a cover of, of a great song?
0: Quite simply, you need the composer's, mm. or he, if he's signed to a publisher, the publisher's permission. And
1: do I pay him for that? He might generally. You, he yeah. might
0: ask you to pay. He might mm. not. That mm. is a business transaction. I mean, these
1: famous songs that we all know—millions <laughs> of them. Celine Dion, yeah, yeah They've okay. so been covered over and over. Are, are the originators getting paid for it?
0: they, they are, because yeah. that, that falls under a slightly different category, which is called the compulsory mechanical license. Put in simple terms, it's this. Mm. If the song – if the if the composition has previously been commercially released in South Africa, you may cover it as long as you send a notification to the copyright owner who's the composer and or publisher. Mm. You don't get an objection and you pay them the mechanical royalties which will, generally speaking, flow through Capasso. Mm-hmm. If they accept that money and they don't object – you are retrospectively legal for making that cover. But that's only on a previously commercially released work. Mm. If it's the first recording of a composition, you need direct consent. Got it. Mm. Let's talk to Warwick Percy. Tell us about Capasso, what it is.
3: So Capasso is a a mechanical rights organization. And and what that effectively means is we collect royalties on behalf of composers and publishers whenever a, a copy or a reproduction of their song is made so as Nick referred to, um, our members consist of exactly that the people who write the melodies, um, create the music, and not necessarily perform them, although that may be the same person to a large extent. So, our work largely has been with the negotiating of the agreements with the YouTubes and the Spotify's and all these services.
1: Let's just slow down a little, Warwick. If I'm a composer, do I register with you? Yes, correct. I've got to come and say, I've written that that song, Yes, that music. Correct. You would notify us
3: exactly um, of what what song you've written, if you've written it with someone else, what split is applicable if you have written it with someone else. Mm. You would notify us of that so that we could ensure that when we are collecting from these services, we are collecting for that song.
1: How do you know when that song is being played?
3: Well, there, the there million dollar lies the million-dollar question. question, yeah. dollar question that, that's exactly. where I come in. Yeah, I, yeah, sorry, I, Ronan, I troll I'm the
4: YouTube. You. And, no, I'm
3: joking. <laughs> yeah, so, We're going to so, pay you a commission. Oh, <laughs>
4: I will, <laughs> You heard that. <laughs> yeah, I heard it.
3: <laughs> so let's talk about YouTube for a second because I think yeah. it's a really good case study in terms of – um and, and the history of YouTube effectively is mirrored in the likes of Facebook and Instagram who are now going through the same process in that – Traditionally, YouTube didn't start out by wanting to be a music service. They, they opened up a platform that allowed people to share videos, be it music that was involved in it. But naturally, um, as the service developed, uh, music consumption, to a large extent, became the priority uh, method of finding music and of the sort. So YouTube realized that they were at a position where the copyrights that Nick was referring to needed to be covered. And their first mes- method was to say, well, if you inform us of of something that is infringing your copyright, we will take it down, and that will be our obligation. Mm. But that leaves the obligation. Do they do that? Yes, they do. They do. They have a very stringent takedown process. Sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, Okay. So, uh, cutting a long story short, effectively the policy and the method that's applicable now is YouTube has a thing called Content ID where they'll request recordings, videos, lyric scripts, And they've effectively created a database to ensure that whenever a video is uploaded onto YouTube, it's filtering through this database. And if it picks up a song belonging to Nick Matsoukas, it will flag it and say, this song belongs to Nick Matsoukas. We need to take it down because Nick has told us to take it down. Mm -hmm. If not, and Nick has said... I don't want to take that down. I'd rather let it earn revenue on my behalf. Mm. YouTube will monetize it and the five-second adverts that the majority of us click and (laughs) and skip will be put before that YouTube video to ensure that revenue is finding its way back to Nick.
1: Now, how how does Capasso get notified?
3: So what... Our, our obligation with YouTube is YouTube will provide us with a list of every single sound recording that has been registered on their, on their platform. So we will then have to filter through that list and say that we have a claim on behalf of this artist or we have a claim on behalf of this. And we'll notify him exactly what composers that we are collecting on behalf of or what publishers we're collecting on behalf of so that YouTube ensures that when that video is played, revenue is getting paid to Capasso and subsequently through Capasso to the publisher or the, the composer.
1: Forgive my ignorance. Where does the revenue come from? Is, is YouTube paying it to you or where does the money come YouTube,
3: from? YouTube themselves. So They actually
1: send you money? Yes, correct. For, so for the artists registered with you? For the com- the, yeah, for the, the composers, composers. For the composers. Exactly. So yeah.
3: it's all of the, the advertising revenue that's being yeah. generated from, as I say, those, those <laughs> five-second clips or the 30-second adverts before, the, the pop-up banners whilst you're watching okay. something. Yeah. Um, and the algorithms get incredibly complicated that if, if uh, um, a brand advertises before that video and I click on that brand and I subsequently make a purchase from that brand – the revenue that's being attributed to that video is a lot higher than someone who just mm. skips the five-second advert. It's so that mm. click
4: action. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: What happens if you can't trace one of your registered uh, artists what, or composers? What happens to his money?
3: So that's the YouTube flaw is that their content ID system is not going to track everything that that's, that's being uploaded. Mm. So what invariably happens is that record companies now and publishers have started employing in-house... Um, uh, employees to effectively, uh, as you were mentioning, run through the, uh, the the YouTube system and say that, well, I, I picked up that someone did a cover of, of one mm. of my tracks. It's not monetized. I'm not mer- making any money off it. Mm. And I therefore have to inform YouTube that please monetize this video or please take down this video. Okay. Yeah. I, th- I
0: think that Bronwyn hit the nail on the head um, when she referred to this by way of example because mm. no system, no business is perfect. But in the music industry particularly, we lack perfection in mm-hmm. tracking, matching, finding, and locating and paying. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. But largely, that imperfection is originally sourced from the user. If the user does not give complete and full information as to what music was used when, then the collecting society cannot, even if it has been paid the correct amounts, track whom to pay that money to in the mm. correct amounts. So, I mean, it's Warwick's job to go to people like YouTube and um, Spotify and the various other music users out there and license them through Capasso, and that's his job. So he's got to have a relationship with me, with them. Um, and it's very important that he nurtures that relationship positively. Me, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd like to be a little bit more of a bad guy in this conversation because I'd like to draw the listeners' attention to a thing called the value gap, which is a problem. And it's possibly the biggest problem in the music industry. The Americans, bless their hearts, came up with a concept in law called safe harbor. And safe harbor meant – and they put this into their DMCA, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act in America. They put their – essentially – that the platform had to have knowledge of the copyright infringement for the platform to be liable. Oh, Okay? uh, mm. Knowledge. Mm. This was brought into our law, unfortunately, in our own Electronic Communications and Transactions Act in 2002. This is a problem. Why? Because YouTube can always put – any platform can put their hands up and say, we We didn't know. know." Mm -hmm. If you tell us, then we know. Yeah. Yeah. So – you're the you're the you're the owner of the composition now you see that somebody has recorded your song and put it up on youtube whoa firstly we're presuming that content i d does in fact track it find you, and tell you that itself is imperfect doesn't always happen trust me I know i've done this myself I've played drum covers, put them up on youtube doesn't say a thing to me okay so of, songs, maybe a reason. Maybe of songs that do not belong your to me. So. was so bad; no one wanted to bother. <laughs> yeah, 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 Maybe I messed the songs <laughs> up so badly. They like no, a break.
1: That, <laughs> that
0: content ID couldn't recognise me. Yeah, possibly. But, but I happen to know that it's far from a perfect system. It picks a, It picks up the composition sometimes, not always. Mm. Actually, SoundClouds seems to be more effective, in my opinion. But that's just a, an opinion. So sometimes it picks it up. Sometimes it doesn't. In the uh, on the occasions where it does pick it up. It will then send the copyright owner a notice. Now, you're a post-starving composer. Somebody has recorded your song and put put their version of it up on YouTube. And you get this notification from YouTube saying, um, would you like us to take it down? Or would you, which we recommend, rather that we monetize the video for you and pay you some money? What are you going to do? What are you going to say? You're going to take the money every time, aren't you? And therein lies the problem. YouTube are coming across as very copyright friendly and and as the friend of the composer, but I'm not so sure they are because if you look at the b- bold statistics of the matter, YouTube have uh, between 1.3 and 1.8 billion with a B daily users. Okay, 90% of those views are music. Mm-hmm. Those are just facts. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's call it 1.3 billion at the low end. They are they are competing against the legitimate streaming sites who don't allow user upload content. YouTube do they allow anybody in the world? You know, if you take something down because you did, you decided not to monetize it, some guy in Moscow can put it up five minutes later, and this is generally what happens. Mm-hmm. But secondly, the legitimate streaming sites like Apple Music and Spotify and Deezer and some and all the rest of them. They don't allow user upload content. Therefore, there's no possibility of infringement. They have to license to the publishers and the labels directly. It's not enough. We accept, but at least it's ag- agreed and accepted and everybody knows what to expect. YouTube allows anybody to put it up. So you'd think, first of all, that they'd have to pay more, not less, right? Mm-hmm. On the contrary, their view is that they need to pay a whole lot less than the people that they are, that they are actually Uh, 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 torpedoing like Apple Music and and Spotify because, hey, if you don't want to pay money, you can just go and listen to it for free on YouTube, right? So why pay the money? Mm. Yet YouTube, with their 1.3 billion users, only pay $856 million in royalties through those systems that Warwick has been talking about. The other streaming sites combined, all of them together, Apple Music, Spotify, Deezer, all of them together, only have 272 million users, so that's like less than a sixth mm. of YouTube, but they have to pay six times the royalties. They are paying 5.96 billion it's a US dollars. Yeah. So they're, pay, <laughs> they're paying one sixth, mm. and they've got six times the users. Work out the numbers. It's just not fair.
2: What's mm. the answer? The economies of scale, maybe? Well, the
0: the because answer is for, for, for Safe Harbor to be taken away first of all. Oh, yeah. And then and then for people like Warwick to be able to go into those licensing meetings armed with laws which protect him and say, No, you must pay the same, if not more, than the Apple Musics.
4: But then that's what I want to ask you, because which law governs cyber law? So do you look at the South African law or the American law? Do you look at the law of the of where the art the original artist resides or do you look at the law where the let's say, perpetrator, in inverted commas, yeah. resides. Yeah. And that's tricky, I think.
3: Great great question. Oracle yeah, answers. so I mean, copyright is, is, is territorial, and it's the reason that um, an Apple Music, or an iTunes for that matter, took so long to launch here as opposed to already being available. So whenever these services are launching, they are getting into – it's exactly that, that the agreements that we are negotiating, we are, we are going through the terms that are – that are applicable to the South African law that we're applying to the copyright being utilised in our territory. Um, Yeah, Nick, I I mean, do you want to comment any further on that? Well, you know, we're
0: we're governed by the South African Copyright Act, which is currently (laughs) undergoing review, and I'm sure Gary might have some questions about that later. Mm. Um, Territoriality applies, yes. You have to be a South African citizen uh, for South African copyright law to apply to you. Also, the collecting societies will look at where the usage is being made. I mean, all these all these companies have offices here. Spotify has just opened in South Africa. So, you know, mm-hmm. local negotiations will take place. Capasso's mandates in, uh, in particular uh, are continental. They take mandates from copyright owners for the entire continent of Africa. So Capasso has the right to license for the whole continent here in Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's r- – a sort of a vague mm. wishy-washy. No, can absolutely.
1: I can I can I change uh, the topic a little, uh, which I think most people want to know. You go into a restaurant, there's background
0: music. Who's is there copyright on that, and how does it work? Absolutely, mm-hmm. any user of music has the responsibility to pay for the use of the copyrights he is using. Now, if it, when you walk into a re- restaurant and there's record- or, the haird-
1: or the hairdresser, hairdresser, yeah.
0: a blomarängskicking specialist, doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. If it is performing music to the public, and I must tell you, Samuro's definition of performance to the public includes opening your car door in a parking lot and one person one walks past, part, yeah. um, <laughs> which I'm not entirely sure oh, I Oh, that's such with. a – you
4: know, when someone plays terrible music, I'm going to use that again. <laughs> yeah, you need I license. can hear. Yeah, you were trying hard not to listen, but somebody <laughs> must pay. No. How
1: much is a Samuro license? What do you pay? Does it depend on how many people, seaters so, you have in your restaurant? Or? So,
0: yes, indeed. Um, Samuro categorizes users from incidental all the way up to essential. Essential. Essential being the broadcasters, the SABC and so on. Yeah. Um, and n- naturally, uh, these categories will determine the amounts that are charged and also the size of the venue will determine the amounts that are charged. Mm. Um, but now when you walk into a restaurant, for example, and you hear an Elton John song or a Black Coffee song playing in the background, two copyrights are being used again takes me back to lesson one, mm-hmm. the copyright and the composition because you are listening to the composition and the copyright in the recording because you're listening to a recording of that composition. Therefore, that venue has to pay two licenses, one to Samro for the public performance of the composition and one to Sampra, who are the record labels and performers on those recordings for the use of the copyright in the recording. Yes, they have to pay twice. And this mm-hmm. is what many users don't understand. Oh, but I've already paid Samurai for this. Who are you now, Samurai, to come and ask me for money? No, you're using two copyrights there. Mm. And therefore, you have to have those two licenses. Uh, for
1: a 50-seater restaurant, roughly, what do they pay for both?
0: Uh, it's a few thousand rand for the mm-hmm. year, and something yes. like that.
3: Yeah, based, ba- based on that calculation, the square meterage, how much music is being heard, what's mm. the, the amount of clients. But I, I mean, I think the next point that he made earlier in respect of the reporting, um, that's a huge issue in respect of, of this exact problem because although a Samra license will be getting paid for by a butcher shop or a restaurant that's that's paying for it, reports are not being fed back to Samra to allow them to say that, well, Warwick's, Warwick Percy's song was played on this day mm. and we therefore own this, this Absolutely. Royalty. May I tell you a yeah, story? Yes,
0: yeah, yeah, sure. Ah, this is a true story. I still bash
3: away at the drums. Because
0: I, I believe that being musical is integral to what I do mm. as a music business person. Uh, if I don't speak from the perspective of a musician, I, I think I'm losing my context. So even at my round old age, I'm still bashing away. <laughs> I was asked to fill in um, for, f- on drums for a band that, that was appearing at a local live venue a few months ago. Uh, The drummer couldn't make it. They asked me to fill in. They're old friends of mine. I went and I sat in for the night. And I recall, we played a couple of original numbers that they'd sent me the MP3s of and I had to learn. We played a whole lot of Pink Floyd and ACDC and Led Zeppelin. Then we played uh, Jabulani by Hotline that night. So at the end of the night, like any good little copyright lawyer should do, I wrote down the compositions that had been performed that <laughs> night on a piece of paper yeah. and I took them to the club manager and I said, please, would you sign here and send this to Samro in the morning? Ooh. Oh, no, dude. What? 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 I right know I'm going to get a bill. What? No, sir. No, no, no. And I took him into his office and I showed him his Samro certificate on the wall, Ooh. which was there and up to date and paid. Yeah. And I said to him, sir, you, you've paid for the use of the compositions that were played here tonight. This is just to tell Samro whom they should send your money to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He would not accept it. <laughs> Still to this day, I'm banned from playing in that club. Wow. And that's the end of the matter. So
1: what's played in a restaurant, uh, the composer never gets the royalty on it No, that, he does. But you how don't. does he get to hear of it?
0: Well, that's the problem. What mm-hmm. Warwick was alluding to earlier is that we have a culture of certainly non-payment for the use of music, which mm-hmm. is a massive problem. But as importantly, non-reporting of which music was used. And yeah, this yeah. goes from the tiniest hairdresser all the way up to the it's biggest broadcaster but What in do you the expect country?
1: them to do, Nick? Forgive me. I mean, are they expected to
0: write down all yes. 50 songs that are played yes. Yes. throughout yeah. the day in, the, in yes. the salon? Yes, and I'll tell you why it doesn't happen, yeah. Gary, because in this country we haven't criminalized non-reporting. Mm-hmm. And I've recommended in... in, in in my submission to Parliament on the New Copyright Act, that non-reporting should be criminalized. So when the SABC doesn't send you 7 million rand worth of information because they just don't feel like it in cue sheets, they should be cr- criminally liable. What is their and
1: obligation? They're playing millions of songs a week or a month yes. or whatever it is. What are they supposed to do? Send you these? The cue sheets. The, the cue sheets. And where does that go to?
0: It should go to Capasso yeah. and to Samara.
3: So mm. that we can do the calculation. So I, how uh, how do you
0: know at Sam. the moment? How do you know what Cliff Central's playing? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But
3: exactly. I
1: think so so just problem. played this T Rex song. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's a ripoff. So, so who gets? S- s- how s- does s- he get? So here? so precisely,
0: yeah. if you guys knew that it was wrong and in fact criminal, not to report which song was played on any particular day, you were dirt. It would become part of your daily admin. If you go to a, a, a jurisdiction like Sweden or Germany, there's not a pub or a club that would. Dare not send in their collecting society returns on a Monday morning because they know that they'll get a visit from the police by the Wednesday morning mm. if they don't. Mm-hmm. So that's it just amazing. becomes yeah. part of the business. Oh. It's like paying for your business license. Yeah. It's it's like paying tax. Yeah.
1: So you don't expect a sparses shop to be noting down every song they're playing, but, do you?
0: I mean, that's How about a taxi? Taxi? <laughs> that's that's
3: a taxis or yeah. taxis? <laughs> from a, from a capacity yeah. perspective, I, I think we think it's it's, it's a threefold effort. So yeah. as as Nick mentioned, the criminal criminalization is is a must. Um, Number two, there's systems now. I mean, we all we all know a Shazam where you can, yeah. uh, something's playing in the background, you can Shazam it, it will tell you exactly what's playing. Yeah. So there's systems out there that allow boxes that you could put next to the speaker in a club, in a restaurant, you no obligation to the user and just say, I'm going to leave this over here. Meanwhile that's tracking, sending mm. a feed back to the, the organization so that we can we can track I it. I never thought of that. Yeah. yeah. And picks then picks thirdly, I yeah. think yeah. um one of the one of the most misunderstood things from a from a composer themselves is that when they do a live gig, they should be filling out their own performance notification to send back to Samra because it's royalties that are guaranteed to mm. go back into their pockets.
4: So that's actually what I wanted to say, um, after your story, Nick, is that it I think it is the responsibility of the musician to do that. Um to also troll YouTube, to troll Facebook, and see what's happening with their music, and I think there is a, I call it a, maybe a laziness, and I, I do apologize to my friends, but there is a laziness to do it, um, and then they will, you know, complain I don't get paid, but you have to if you want the money, you've got to work for it. Mm-hmm. Well, in Bron- a way.
0: Bronwyn, you've described the re- the reality. Mm-hmm. The reality is that it's it's come down to the composers now to try and get these stat sheets and information in and to track whatever. But it's impossible. It's simply mm-hmm. impossible to know, if you've got a hit song on your hands, to know which radio station played it which of 20 times on which particular day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this is why collecting societies exist. And this is why the user has this obligation to report. It shouldn't be the composer's obligation, but it has become that. You've described the reality. Mm-hmm. That's what I was trying to do with that with that club that I played in. You know, I was trying to be the good guy but you know the, the ignorance of exactly what rights attach to the use of music are unfortunately there, right. and this is the problem. Bron, have you but got
1: your answer to Facebook? What we can upload um, to
4: Facebook? Yeah, or well, let, should we go yeah. there? Yeah, sorry, I'm mm-hmm. fixing the yeah. mic. Um, Facebook uploading songs—it's um, yeah. in the public space.
0: Mm. Warwick's talking to them as we speak.
3: You yeah. can answer So, uh, okay. So the history I mentioned for YouTube, as I said, I, I I think it's applicable to all social media sites. That that only can go so far when there's too much pressure coming from the music industry that's saying yes there's takedowns happening left right and center and yes you can take the stance that you're not a music platform and it's not our responsibility if Bronwyn shares a song or whatever the case may be so they're all realizing that they need to adjust their model to to put some form of of monetization in place Facebook included in that SoundCloud another good example the problem is, it reverts back to exactly what Nick is. The, the monetization principles that they put in place may not necessarily be to the utmost benefit of the composer because the fees that are being generated are, are not at their highest.
0: And they usually keep half. Oh,
3: but isn't this also talking about the education about it?
2: Because mm. most of the time people don't know what you are actually talking about because only <laughs> selected few yeah. who are in the business of music tends to know about it. You're so right. And yeah. the other layer to it is just simply the other admin that the owners of this restaurant have to actually do it. Mm. As a former restaurant owner myself, I would never be able to be writing a list to somebody else To simply say this is the del- the list of tracks mm. that we played Because at the end of the day you have to be on the floor Making sure, sure that everything is running correctly Yeah. But I think then maybe the relationship between restaurant owners And the music composers and the companies Need to come together so that we can actually have a Sing with one voice, so yeah. to say
0: yeah. So so what I've recommended is that a task team should be put together and I've even recommended to government how this could be funded mm-hmm. by way of a private copy levy which would mean your iPhone would cost 1 rand more um for example and and a task team like this could go out and assist restaurants club owners pubs bars and and Educate, as you say, and I think that is the key golden word here. Educate users about their responsibilities and make sure that the information is being disseminated properly to the collecting societies. What's happening at the moment is that the collecting societies are extrapolating information. Okay, what's a hit at the moment on, on radio? Mm-hmm. So if that guy's getting 5% of the airplay right now, on radio then we'll presume that he's also getting 5% of what's being played in the venues. Mm-hmm. This may be right or may be wrong. I think it's probably wrong. But we shouldn't have to extrapolate information as much as simply absorb it because mm-hmm. the users have told us what yeah. they used and therefore pay the right people.
3: So yeah, I mean if uh, if if I can make a a, a comment just back back to the YouTube I think people need to, to also realize that there is some benefit in these services mm-hmm. so um, YouTube in particular is very very fluid in terms of their analytics so they can tell you who's listening what age group what gender in which territory um, at what time H- if they stopped one minute through if they stopped one minute 30 through and from that as an artist you can make an informed decision of saying well I'm a South African artist but I'm getting huge huge numbers in Ghana mm-hmm. um, in the 16-year-old male range. Therefore, I can I can adjust. I can set up a tour there knowing with the knowledge that I'm already famous. Um, that's another benefit that you could use the stats for to to your advantage. But once again, as you say, there's not a lot of uh, – it's the education principle to know that that's actually there and available.
1: Nick, I don't – sorry, Bronwyn. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, I yes, just yeah.
4: wanted to also add on that because I think – Um, What has also changed is that a lot of musicians and managers uh, encourage the sharing of music videos because they want the views. Because they're not making money off of the music anymore, they see those shares and those views as – the money equivalent and I think that's what's happening because a lot of people are releasing singles on YouTube and if it gets shared on Facebook 500 times you know people are listening and people love your music and then it might be played on radio so there is that problem as well because they are also jeopardizing the people sharing it in terms of you know the legalese of sharing music. So there is that uh, double-edged sword as well.
0: Yeah. Do we want the exposure more than the money or the money more than the exposure? You know, in the the old days, we used to tour at great expense so that we could sell records where the money was, where the big profit was. Now we make records so that we can tour. And (laughs) I've just been to the Katy Perry concert to my – to the great peril of my ears, I must tell you. No, not, <laughs> <laughs> <don't> you <love laughs> no, 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 not knocking Katy Perry. I'm yeah. just saying, wow, it was loud. But oh, anyway, okay. <laughs> um, it, it, you know, and and at huge cost. I mean, I mean, those concert tickets are very expensive. That's where the profit is at the moment. Yeah, but the industry is balancing itself out again. The recording industry has, for the last two years, shown growth in profitability for the first time in 22 years, 2017, 2016. So. The recording industry is back, and what's saving it is streaming, but proper, legitimate, paid-for streaming. And it's still not enough. You know, you've all heard about that 0.006 cents per stream that the artist gets paid down the line at the end of the day. Yes, it's not enough, but artists who are successful and labels who are successful with particular artists are now finding that streaming is the solution. And without a doubt, nobody Mm. can deny this. Mm. Streaming of music is the future, and streaming of video is already the future of television. Mm -hmm. So that being the case, we need these streaming sites to thrive. We need them to be able to charge more for subscriptions and for advertising on the free tier so that more money is coming in, so that more money can be paid to the performers, composers, and publishers, and labels. But they can't do that while they've got this monster out there which – is refusing to come to this particular party, is allowing user-generated uploads and is saying, hey, you love us. You love the exposure that we give you. We Mm. know that. So sorry for you. Mm. And that's precisely where we find ourselves at the moment. If we could somehow get YouTube, who, let's be honest, have very deep pockets being owned by by Google, um, to turn their back on the safe harbor, to turn their back on on, um, the borderline infringements that they allow, And to simply pay the licensing fees that are due on their platform in the same way that the Apple Musics and the others do, I think we'd see an immediate turnaround Mm. in the recording industry because they are that big and that powerful. And we need them and we love them and they know it. All we're asking them for them to do is pay the right licensing fees. Mm. If they do that, this industry is fixed. Mm.
1: Warwick, what advice would you give to a new up-and-coming artist? Uh, He's created something exciting. Mm -hmm. What should he do?
3: So, um, first and foremost, register with Samura and Capasso. Uh, we exist purely there to to help administer. And 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 you spoke about knowledge sharing. We we are there to inform uh, a composer of what his rights or wh- who we collect from. Um, that first and foremost. Um, secondly, I think what the internet has done now is that it's allowed a a composer or an artist for that matter as well to to be in a position where he can empower him or her can empower themselves to a large extent um through the platforms and and options that they have available on the internet so um it sounds like a cliche saying but the music industry is knowledge is power by far Mm -hmm. if you don't know what your rights are if you don't know where to look what to where your money's stemming from uh, yeah, you're in a you're in a bit of a hole, and and I think my appeal and and, and through our experience is that there's one key person in the South African industry that, um, perhaps my personal opinion, that is significantly missing, and that's a music manager who truly understands the business. We can have a fluid system where a composer can focus on what they're good at and that's writing music and, or an artist can focus on performing music and you can have a music manager who understands the business and, and understands all these compli- complicated aspects, uh, yeah, you're, a, you're on a good path.
2: I think mm. on, just to add to that, I think somebody also can, understand, can guide you with regard to your contract because most mm. of the uh, musicians tend to fail in that area where the content that is actually in the contract exactly. can actually be... Quite meaningless in some cases. Yeah. Well,
0: we've all heard about the Fifi Cooper yes. scenario. Yeah. We've all heard about the various other scenarios that have taken mm-hmm. place in yeah. South Africa. Look, tell us about those, Nick. For those. Well, well, Fifi and her label, Ambitious Entertainment, have have fallen out, mm. um, and um, it's quite an emotional uh, uh, topic. Uh, the public have got involved in it. There's a there's a lot of Twitter rant that has mm. been going on about it. The simple fact of the matter is that I need to look at this as a lawyer and and i can i i can only look at the documents see what was signed and say well you know if you agreed to something then it is binding on you pacta sunt servanda as we say contracts are binding mm-hmm. the problem lies not so much in um the existence of contracts so this one happened to be i believe a 360 degree contract which means that that the company was both her label and her publisher and thirdly her manager as well um but the bottom line is this. If an artist signs a contract which ultimately ends up being prejudicial to them, they can blame the other party as much as they like. Yeah. But in my opinion – and I'm the guy who wrote the book about this on how to negotiate contracts in the industry. Mm. In my opinion, you have
1: So no people need to buy this book. It's still available?
0: Well, well if yeah. – Is they, it available? Uh, <laughs> yes, it is available. <laughs> yeah. But um, – so I'll give you more about that later. But are out of My, tub, my point is this. The my my <laughs> point is you have but yourself to blame if you sign a prejudicial contract that you don't understand. Mm-hmm. So what should you do? Because everyone's falling into this trap. Read a book. Read. Read a book. <laughs> phone a guy. Email somebody um yeah. go and do a course get the information because unlike when i was an artist the information is now available mm. Mm. this young man warwick has taken the time to learn about this industry as a student to come to a place where he was able to learn the foundations and the basics of this of this business and take that knowledge into the industry mm. artists need to do the same mm. if if an artist has the approach, well, you know, I just want to play my guitar. I just want to do my raps and I want somebody else to take care of the business. Okay. Let's see how long it takes before you get ripped off. Well, and I guarantee you it will happen because your manager might be great and your manager might be there to protect you against, I don't know, the promoter who's dishonest or the publisher who doesn't help you or the label that rips you off as as is alleged in, in, in Fifi's case. But ultimately, who's going to protect you from them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who's going to protect you from the manager if you don't know what money should be coming in if you don't understand the copyright and the recording and the copyright in, in, in the composition and the various royalty streams that flow from them and it's really just one diagram how many people
1: box. know exactly what to do yeah how, how many how, are there lawyers who are these people that you talk about these so-called managers that know
0: you can do courses um, how many are there yeah not enough mm-hmm. no, not enough certainly not enough Um, I mean, I know of attorneys who are now coming to grips with this. Um, I'm dealing with two or three attorneys who consult me on a regular basis, who who ask me um, very detailed questions about the music industry. And I think this knowledge base is expanding, but not quickly enough. Knowledge is required. If you go to Australia, you cannot study music without studying the music business. Mm. And that has helped the Australian music industry. In America, there are only three places I believe: um, UCLA, NYU, and I think Middle State Tennessee University, where you can study music law as a genre. In South Africa, there's only there's only one one such course that I know, of, which is where I which have. Which is I not
4: part of it. their main course. Yeah. Well, it's, it, of it's, a, it's of a of a degree. They don't have a uh, music. So
3: Yeah, LLB will will have, uh, or BCOM law will have a, a, a copyright elective, which you can do. But by that copyright but elective, elective yeah. by yeah. no means goes Ooh. into the intricacies yeah. of, of music at law as it relates. Really? I was a qualified advocate of the high court with my law degree
0: having studied copyright. The word music was maybe mentioned three times mm-hmm. while I was at university. Yes. And I then hung up my legal robes and went and became a pro muso for a while and embarrassingly got ripped off. And that is how I ended up researching with my own band as my first client and various other bands then started to come see me as I started researching. And in those days, there was no internet. Um, and reading these contracts, understanding them, coming to understand the rights. And it took me 22 years until I finally wrote a book. Okay, so now there's a book. You can read international books. You can read local books. Just borrow it. Mm. <laughs> read no, it. You want to tell it. us about your book? <laughs> Well, you still no, have it. No, no. because, no, because it's a bit outdated. No, it so? because I, I can't rewrite it. It's in its fourth edition now, and I can't mm-hmm. do the fifth edition until the new Copyright Act comes out. Oh, I see. It. And okay. the new Copyright that Act ends, yeah. has. Anyway, some, you can
1: consult with Nick Matsukas if you like.
0: <laughs> yeah. oh,
1: no, I, just, I want to tell you a story. I met a little guy, he was a petrol attendant at a garage, and he said, I'm a hip hop star. I'm going to be. And he was. You know telling me about it the next thing I see is he he loaded it his little song up on on uh, uploaded it onto YouTube, mm-hmm. and he sent me the clip mm-hmm. now the question is, I guess he never registered with you if that song became famous mm-hmm. if I can use that term, he'd get no royalties or would he
3: uh not necessarily I mean we have systems in place where um if exactly that we, we see this huge trending hit that's coming through f- from all the streaming services but we can't match it to an individual mm. we will have um, what we call a non-distribution or a non-member distribution process we will seek this member and say look we we've collected these, these he fun- can come later then yeah. Can, yeah so we we can backdate. Um, I think the answer world. is
1: just is register immediately is that right is that the answer register as soon as possible before yeah. you I mean, distribute if, your
3: if, if you if yeah. you're writing a song you know, exactly you never know that, that that, that song bec- could become a hit overnight, and Ooh. at that point, you want all your affairs in order to ensure that the. In the a nutshell, become a member of Samro,
0: mm-hmm. Capasso, and the Performer's Chamber of Sampra. Yeah. Mm. Even though you don't understand why I and just. And it costs nothing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it costs 200 rand a year or something. Oh, okay. Um, but I know that because I cannot give you a six hour lecture. Uh, On this radio station today You don't understand what I'm saying dear listener But please believe me If you are an up and coming artist and composer Become a member of Samro Capasso And the performers chamber of Sampra Mm -hmm. Do that And you Even though you won't understand uh, why, you're, you're, thought, you're, yeah. you're kind of covered for now and mm. send, send the notifications of works into those Excellent. societies.
1: Nick, there's a new South African copyright amendment bill. I don't want to get too legalistic now, but uh, <laughs> anything salient, anything important from a – I know you've sent a 70-page, very detailed uh, submission to parliament, is it? What's going on, quickly,
0: in a nutshell? Uh, What's going on is that uh, our copyright laws are quite correctly under review because they're very old. The Copyright Act was drafted in 1978, Mm -hmm. and it's very old and out of date now. It doesn't recognize Internet streaming as a public performance, for example, because technology uh, developed faster than our law does, as as is always the case. But um, they've been working on the new Copyright Amendment Bill, for several years now. There was a draft in 2015 and, and then a, a latest draft has just come out again uh, in June of this year. And there are some, in my opinion, some serious problems with the content of, of this proposed law. What it was intended to do in response to the Copyright, Commission, uh, Copyright Review Commission report in 2012, which was a government inquiry into why people are, uh, in the music industry are dying as starving paupers. And the CRC report said we need to update our copyright laws. Regrettably, in my opinion, certainly the 2015 draft, and I would say uh, to a large extent the latest draft as well, do not go far enough in protecting artists, composers, and musicians. In fact, they do the contrary. They've introduced uh, foreign concepts such as fair use, which um, is something that, in my opinion, we do not want in our law. Fair use is an open-ended exemption where users, and we all know who the biggest user in the world is, don't we, where (laughs) users may use copyrighted uh, uh, material in certain vague guideline principles uh, in certain circumstances, you know, where there's, there's no threat of economic harm and, very vague principles, but as an open exception, you can use the copyright without permission, provided these three vague things uh, arguably apply it 's not about that it 's about the fact that now, if we change to fair use it will it will be the burden and the onus of the artist, composer, or the copyright owner to sue the user to prove that it 's not fair use. Mm. Whereas under the current law, which is called fair dealing, it's a defined closed list which says you can only do certain things without permission and nothing else. Yeah. There's no open-endedness about it. So fair dealing, in my opinion, is the far preferable system. If you want to add things like education and parody, um, And various other things to the list, to this closed list of fair dealing exemptions, that's fine with me, no problem. But don't introduce this open ended Mm. concept, which the Americans have created, Mm. called fair use. Mm. Because That places on, on the copyright owner the, the responsibility to sue. And also, and also you gotta remember in America they have punitive damages. So that if if it's found not to be fair use, you can be nailed big time for punitive damages. We do not have that in South Africa. Mm. That is a problem. If you're gonna bring fair use, at least bring punitive damages with it. But rather, don't bring it at all. Yeah. Thanks for that, Nick. Let's just, uh, we, we
1: have to end off. Uh, Bronwyn, you have a show on another radio station. Do you still have it?
4: Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, tell us about it. Uh, well, am I allowed to? Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. Can I name the radio station? Yeah, you though? can. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, yes, I'm on Mix 93.8 FM. Yeah, when? Uh, I'm, I'm the graveyard shift, midnight to 2 a.m., mm-hmm. uh, Wednesday night, Thursday mornings. Play rock. Predominantly, it's the Rock Fest, And. Uh, uh, I do believe that they do fall out <laughs>
3: their <laughs> lists.
2: You believe or you know. No, I, I did <laughs> query
4: it and they said they well, the the one Person said that they, uh, I'm not going to name anyone, said that they do, but I, I will follow up. But I did query it. Bronwyn, you need to be loved uh, for that
0: and also for the fact that you're playing rock, yeah. which yes. hardly anyone does yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah.
4: Nick, Nick I'm very rock. lucky. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Rockfest is a great slide. It's called Living After Midnight. Oh, nice. Warwick so.
1: Percy of Capasso, you do a wonderful <laughs> job. We really appreciate it. You look after the artists, the struggling artists, Lyons. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, yeah, to you. yeah. thank you. Brilliant. Yeah, well done. Yeah. Anything, you've got 10 seconds before we let you go. Anything you want to brag about? Sure.
3: Sh- or? Or no, I think just to, just to echo Nick's point, I mean these, these negotiations with these services are hard enough as it is um, mm. with the many factors, with the reporting and everything. We need legislation that gives us as much power to ensure that the most amount of money is being paid back to the artist and the composer. That's, that's I think, our plea for mm. mm. Yeah,
1: yep. that sustains the
0: industry. Nick, before we let you go, thank you very much for all this as oh, well. You're most
3: welcome. Yeah, we two, love
0: this, yeah. Two things. Number one, education. Absolutely, yeah. please, please. E- even even if you just borrow a book or, or, or um, just ask for some free advice, please educate yourself about the rights of this industry. It's complicated and it's hard. It shouldn't be, but it is. So that's the first thing. Please educate yourself. Please don't be that guy who says I just want to play my guitar and let the bu- the business be handled by somebody else. Um, and secondly, to to Parliament, if you're listening, I beg you. Please do not take away the negotiating power of our copyright owners. Please strengthen it. That mm-hmm. was your mandate. That's what we ask you to do. It's in your hands. Please help the industry to grow, not the other way.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Lines, thank you very much. Pleasure. It's been a great show. We learned a lot. Um, a yeah, hell of a lot. Thanks, Gary. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, yeah. Gary. Thanks very thanks, much. Until next Tuesday, Lines. Oh, yeah, cheers till then.
2: This is CliffCentral.com. Cliff